Do you wish it could be reversed? Do you wish it could be reversed? Is there anything, anything in your life that you wish could be reversed, rewound, undone? It's a bit of a foolish question, really. We all have something in our lives that we wish could be rewound, reversed, undone. There's something in this world that that we know of, that we've seen, that we wish could be rewound, reversed, undone. I mean, just think of the dizzying and honestly nauseating news cycles of the last few weeks. Even the last 24 hours, there are things that we wish we could reverse, that we wish could be undone. Now, for honest, such wishes can often seem hopeless, don't they? But the good news is that they are not hopeless. There is a great reversal. On Easter morning, an ancient curse was reversed. The world changed. A new world came into being. Heaven erupted up into the middle of this earth. And it it happened In a garden. It happened in a garden. This is no small detail. This is no insignificant fact to the story. See, what happens on Easter morning at the garden tomb of Jesus is this glorious reversal and redemption of what happened in the ancient garden of Eden at the origin of things. In that garden, when things fell apart, when love was ruptured, when trust was broken, in that garden, when death snaked its way into the place of delight, and flourishing, when deception poisoned the happy truth, that God is a good God, and he's for you. He's after your flourishing. Now, this morning I realized that there may be many of us here who haven't been on this journey through the book of John that we've been going through as a church, and that's, that's okay. You don't need to have been in the series with us. I want you to know the sermon is, is for you, and it's, it's for all of us, but I do want to let you in on something we've been doing. What we've been doing for over a year now is going through the gospel of John, just this brilliant telling of the good news. That's what gospel means, the good news of Jesus, according to the author John, who was an apprentice of Jesus. And, and John has been showing us brilliantly throughout his writing that Jesus is at work reversing what happened in the Garden of Eden. It's the garden in reverse. Jesus' garden tomb resurrection is the Garden of Eden in reverse. And I know that sounds a bit weird, a garden in reverse, but I pray it'll make more sense as we move forward. See, in the Garden of Eden, sin and death and disruption and disintegration and shame and guilt and fear enter and and bleed and and, and spread. And in the Garden of Jesus' resurrection, all the pieces are put back together into a new glorious way of of being human. There is a new creation, a recreation afoot. And see, in the garden, there were signs of life. Now, when I say in the garden, there were signs of life, I don't mean that there's some new green buds on that naked fig tree, or there's a new uh, coat of leaves on the blueberry bush, or there's some tiny little eggs in that hummingbird's tiny little nest, all signs of life that are literally happening in my backyard this morning. But I'm talking about the signs of life that we see in John chapter 20. There's three key signs of life that we need to be aware of. See, in the garden, 
were signs of life, signs of life that say with shining clarity that God is at work reversing the curse. Now, before we go further, we would do well to remember that Easter starts out in the darkness. Easter starts out in a deep darkness. It was the darkest of nights the world had known. See, on on Good Friday, Jesus, the innocent one, had been bloodied. He had been tortured. He shockingly died, and he was buried in the earth. And this, this trauma, well, trauma, that word doesn't even do it justice. The disciples' world had died. Creation shuddered at the death of Jesus. And as Jesus is put into a, a garden tomb, and, and we know that a garden is a place of the renewal of physical life, but it's also a symbolic, symbolic of new life. And this is exactly why God wrote the story the way he did. Jesus buried in a garden because Jesus is a seed put in the ground that would bring forth and bloom an entire new creation. So let's watch and let's see how this life emerges from the ground. We are in John chapter 20, starting at verse 1. Here's what the text says. This is the word of the Lord. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of his tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Now, there's some time markers here in this text. This is the first day of the week. This is Sunday. But here's something we need to understand, that for the Jewish people, the last day of the week was, do we know? Saturday, Sabbath, yeah, Shabbat. It's, it's when everything ceases. It's when you stop your work. The seventh day, you stop before it all starts again. So this now is Sunday, which makes it the what day of the week? The first day of the week. It's kind of hard for us. We think Monday is the first day of the week, but that's, that's not the case. Sunday is, is the first day of the week. Now, this is a key truth. This is not just a time marker. This is a key truth. So keep that, this bit right up here, okay? Sunday, the first day of the week. We'll come back. Now, the seventh day, the Sabbath, is over. And Mary, she's out the door. She's off to see Jesus. And Mary's a disciple. She is an apprentice of Jesus. She's had her soul healed by Jesus. Jesus dealt with the sevenfold darkness of, of her past, of, of her brokenness. She has seen Jesus teach. She has seen Jesus heal the blind. She has seen Jesus raise the dead to life. Jesus means everything to her. He washed her. He showered her in grace and mercy. She loved him, and she is going at first opportunity to be close to him, to grieve, to process what has happened. Now keep in mind, it's, it's zero dark 30 at this point. It is the you should be in bed hours of the morning and it's dark and she's stumbling along the road and she's grieving, crying. Her eyes, I imagine, were bloodshot and her, her body, I imagine, was, was rattled by the, the adrenaline, by the shaking and the aching of grief. And so just imagine it. Imagine someone that you love was, was violently and publicly brutalized and killed and you're in the shock of it. And then you go to, to the grave 
and the grave's open. It's dug up. Your brain, your brain short circuits, doesn't know how to process what is, what is happening. And so she is in the shock and dismay. Now she, full, she knows full well the common practice of grave robbing. She knows full well that Jesus had a ton of enemies. And so her grief now is compounded and she runs. She runs. And she runs to tell John and Peter what she assumes, that the body of Jesus has been stolen, it's been taken. And so we come to verse 3. So Peter went out with the other disciple, that's John who's writing this text, and they were going toward the tomb. Now, both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. So, so these two jump up at the news that Mary brings, and they start running to the tomb. Now, John gets there first. It seems Peter is not as fast as John, who was on track in high school. And so Peter is a little bit slower to get there. And this, this passage tells us a really, a really important truth. And it's simply that John is a bit more wide receiver and Peter more fullback. And this is, I love this. Like, you, the scriptures are incredible. This is beautiful. The detail is telling. This is an eyewitness account Comb through the ancient literature. Go through all the the ancient Near Eastern literature and try to find something like this. It's not there. This is an eyewitness account. These particular things happened on this particular morning to these particular people. It's the scandal of particularity. It is there. It's historical. It's not myth. It's not a timeless, placeless, personless thing. It's history. This is an old man's memory going... I beat him. <laughs> I beat Peter to the tomb. John gets there first. He looks in. He sees the grave clothes lying there in the place and shape of Jesus' body, but no body. Gone. Verse 6. Then Simon Peter came following him, and he went into the tomb, which is so Peter, right? Brash, passionate, bull in a china shop. You know, ready, fire, aim. He's all forward momentum. Let's go. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Okay, so Peter, being Peter, barges into the tomb, and he sees the same thing. The neatly wrapped place head cloth. This is no grave robbing. There's no sign of hurry, and his jaws left open. He's wondering. He's confused. Wait, what, what happened? What happened? See, he, instead of seeing a pile he sees it all laid out in the shape of Jesus' body. So what happened? What are they seeing? Well, signs of life. These, these are signs of life. They're seeing signs of life, but they're, but they're not seeing them. Isn't that amazing how you can see something and not see it? You can see something, but not see what it means. I think that's instructive for us and should grant us some humility. Let's keep going. There are more signs of life here. Verses 8 through 10. Then the other disciple, that's John, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and he believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he, Jesus, must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Well, it's John's turn. He comes into the cave-like tomb now, and he sees 
it clicks. The word here in Greek for he sees doesn't mean he sees as observing a fact. It means he sees as in he comprehends the fact that he observes. Jesus has risen from the dead. This is not a grave robbing scene. I, I mean, imagine this. This tomb was guarded. There are Roman soldiers around. No grave robber who is trained to get in and get out would go in and slowly unwrap this corpse with all these bindings, with 75 pounds of spices, and then when done, wrap it all back up, set it in the neat shape of the body, and put the head cloth back there and be out. Like, that is not what happens, and John knows it. See, this is the first sign of life that we should see. Evidences of the bodily resurrection of Jesus. These are signs of the evidence of the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Now, these two head home in wonder, and I wonder what that conversation was like. Were, were they running at this point? Were they, were they walking? Were they staring at each other with their, their mouths open? Like, what was said? Well, as they leave, Mary comes back, and she's still broken. She's still Easter blind. Now, quick fact check here. What day of the week is it? Sunday, which is the? Okay, you still holding on to that? Hold on to it. Coming back to it. Verse 11 through 13. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head, one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord. And I do not know where they have laid him. You just hear the grief in her words. So there's Mary, she's standing weeping, and, and it's fascinating, like, in, in, the, in the text there, the, uh, the tense of it is, like, she stays standing, she remains standing. This is a faithful, faithful woman, a faithful follower of Jesus. She's not going anywhere. And eventually, she has the strength to look at her despair in the face, and she looks into the empty tomb, and instead of looking in and seeing a story that tells of a beloved one's body being stolen, she sees a story of heaven and earth colliding because she sees two angelic beings, these two angels. And they say, woman, why are you weeping? So clearly, right away, they obviously have a totally different vantage point than she does. They're like, why are you crying? This is the greatest news in all of, of cosmic history. Here it is. Why are you crying? But her griefs, her griefs in the world's darkness have her still Easter blind. She still thinks the thieves stole the body, but she doesn't know King Jesus has conquered the grave. Now, I have to do this here. So quick Easter egg, okay? Quick Old Testament Easter egg. You know what I mean by Easter egg? Not like open it up and there's like chocolate inside, but like you go to a movie and you watch it and you're paying attention and there's a detail and you're like, oh my goodness, that was a nod to the first movie which connected with this and, and the whole universe and my mind's like being blown right now. Like, that kind of Easter egg? Okay, Old Testament Easter egg. Help me out, and you can, you can talk with me on Easter. Uh, you can talk with me any Sunday. So, she looks in the tomb, and what does she see? Two angels. It gives their location very specifically. They are at the and the foot. Okay, mind's eye. Mind's eye. Flat space, angel, angel. John wants us to see, not just see, but to truly see what 
is, is happening here. So I want to show you an image of what Mary is seeing. What is this? Even if you've never read the Bible before, you've seen Indiana Jones, right? This is the Ark of the Covenant. And what you have is this golden box, flat space, angel, angel. This was the place where God's presence resided in the Old Testament, in the temple where mankind and God would meet together. And once a year, the priest would go in. And what would he put and slather on that, that flat space there between the angels? The blood of the sacrifice, this is the mercy seat. This is where forgiveness is meted out to a people who have refused the good God who created them because he wants to be with them. You see it. When she looks in, she sees the slab where there would have been droplets of blood because of the body that was giving out its blood between the angels. Jesus was here, the presence of God on earth. This is the place where forgiveness happens. Now, I, I told Silas yesterday, uh, my, my son, I was like, Silas, read this passage. I had him read the passage. And I was like, Silas, look at the picture. And I had him look at the picture. And I was like, read the passage again. And he read it, and he goes, oh. Oh. Wow, Dad. Like, the Bible, like, if you have never seriously considered the scriptures, if you think that this random collocation of like verses thrown together, like superstitious stuff, like please engage the intellect. Engage the reason that is a gift to you by your creator. Engage the scriptures and the brilliance of Christ is there to be seen. Now one other thing, one other connection. When Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden, God places what at the garden's gate? Two angelic beings with flaming swords to keep humanity out. Their job's done. They're sitting down. The swords are gone. Jesus has opened the gate to heaven. He's opened the way back to Eden. I have to get moving forward. Verse 14. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. Mary. She turned to him in, in Aramaic, said, Rabboni, which means not just teacher, but my teacher. It's this affectionate term, my teacher. Now Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go. Go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. So again, go there with your mind's eye. Here she is, she's talking with these angels. And then it's like she must have heard something behind her or, or the angels kind of clue her in and give, you know, a little flick of the wrist and be like, hey, tss, tss, back there, you know? And she turns and she sees Jesus, but she doesn't see Jesus really, right? She sees a gardener. Now, think about this. What's the location? What location? The garden. Well, what day? First day of the week, the start of the work week. Who comes into the garden on a Monday morning to work? A gardener. Mary's being very rational. She turns around, thinks he's the gardener. 
And then Jesus says, why are you weeping? And then he adds this. He says, whom are you looking for? Whom are you looking for? He, of course, he knows who she's looking for. But the question, that question is a piercing question. Are you looking for a rabbi who just taught some things? Or are you looking for the Lord of all creation who death cannot hold? Because here I am. So, the most amazing thing happens. He cuts through her confusion. He pierces the darkness. And what is it that opens the eyes of her Easter blindness? Help me out. He says one word to her. What is it? Mary. Her personal name. It's him. The one who should be, you know, dead, laying cold on that stone. The one she watched bleed out, trying to take those ragged, Uh, death rattle breaths on the cross it's him he's alive and can you imagine at this point the adrenaline that coursed through her body like it just must have been overwhelming and so she just wraps her arms around him now this is the second sign of life jesus has been raised from the dead death could not hold him The resurrection of Jesus is the sign of a whole new reality. It is the sign of a recreated order. See, the power of Easter that is bursting from the soil of the story is that Easter is the dawn of the renewal of everything. On Easter morning, the world changed. Something fundamental, something elemental about reality shook, was reshaped, shifted, and was reoriented. So what day was it again? Sunday. It is the first day. Why is that important? Because in Genesis, God makes the world in in a matter of what's called a week. The seventh day, he rests. What happens on the first day? He begins creation. He begins creation. Jesus has just rested on the seventh day, in the grave. Now it's day one. Recreation is starting. God is making the world anew. He's replanting the world. He put Jesus in the ground. Jesus comes up as the new man. He comes up as the life bringer. This is the garden in reverse. It's not falling apart. It's, it's being built up. C.S. Lewis says it so beautifully. Here's what he says. He says, The New Testament writers speak as if Christ's achievement And rising from the dead was the first event of its kind in the whole history of the universe. He's the first fruits, the pioneer of life. He has forced open a door that has been locked since the death of the first man. He has met, he has fought, and he has beaten the king of death. Everything, everything is different because he has done so. And what he's referring to here, this, the first fruits thing, is the, the words of the apostle Paul who writes in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians, it's Paul. He says that Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits of those who have died or fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. See, here's the deal. When, when there's that first fig on that barren little fig tree in my backyard, that first fig pops up, you know what that means? There's more fruit coming. There's more figs. When Jesus came alive, when he was resurrected as the human being, that means there's more resurrections coming. That is us. Reality has shifted 
and change. The world is different now. There is a glorious, true, and deep magic, so to speak, that is moving and coursing through this world, reversing the power of death, bringing light to darkness, healing to soul, sickness. It is the garden reverse. Remember, Jesus was called the gardener. This is the best, most correct mistake you could ever make. He is regardening the world. Now, the reversal of this garden means even the worst stories can be turned into a happily ever after. And that isn't just me being Pollyanna-ish. See, the, the resurrection of Jesus brings about the reversal of our shame, of our guilt, of our fear, of our alienation. So, so this morning, I, I went back behind the stage to, to pray and to work through this. And there's the cross that we use for Good Friday service. It's broken into the two pieces. And, and I went close and, and I started to read it because on it are hundreds of linen strips. And on those strips are the sins and the burdens that you all have carried. These are written by us as a church family. And I'm reading about despair and, and suicidal thoughts and addictions and, and loneliness and, and isolation. And I just started to, this is my family. And I just start weeping and then I'm like celebrating because they're nailed to the cross, which means they don't get the last word. Each one of those is being reversed and will ultimately be reversed and will ultimately be redeemed because it's not just a reversal, it's a redemption, which means the end is going to be better than the beginning and it's going to be worth all of the mess in the middle. So it doesn't matter what we've been through, he can redeem and restore. And this gives us great meaning and purpose. This takes us to our third sign now, which we find in verse 18. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene went... And announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And he said all these things to her. So she, she sees Jesus. She hugs him, right? Big old bear hug. And he's like, you can let go? Like, he's not being mean. He's like, I need you to know, like, I'm not going to evaporate right now. I'm going to stick around for a little bit. I have a mission for you. I have something I need you to do. I need you to go and tell your brothers that my God is their God. And that my father is their father, that they are adopted by the king of all creation. They are brought home. And so she does, right? This one who, who, who went with a leaden soul and lead in her feet, weeping and crying towards the tomb, that morning now runs with this buoyant hope that I've seen the Lord. He's alive. She is now an ambassador of hope. She is now an ambassador of life. And this is the third sign. Mary is the third sign. She is a witness of resurrection life. Her life will now be a sign of life to others. She will be a sign of eternal life to a dark world. She will be a radiant light, an incandescent soul, proclaiming, I have seen the Lord. Now, in this movement, I, I just want to take a, a brief second to show you how John paints yet another way in which the resurrection of Jesus is a reversal of the fall in the first garden. So with Mary here. So think on it. Genesis chapter 3, the flow, the order of communication is 
deceiver or serpent, Satan, Mary or Eve, and then Adam. And then here it's the reverse. Do you see it? It's the Savior bringing life, a message of life. And then Mary off to the men. See, Eve heard from the serpent and passed the death to the absent, inactive man, Adam, right? Mary heard life from Jesus and passed the good news of life to the absent men who weren't even there. She had to run off and find them, right? God has written this to reverse it all and to say how he's redeeming what had happened. What a beautiful, redemptive reversal. So what this means is the resurrection of Jesus is a fact of history. The resurrection of Jesus is the dawn of a new reality of recreation, of new creation. And the resurrection of Jesus gives us a new identity and a whole new destiny. You are not bound to your broken past. You have a glorious future where all things are made new. And I want to ask you, do you wish it could be reversed? Do you wish it could be reversed? Is there anything in your life that you wish could be reversed? Undone, rewound, redeemed. It can be. It can be. The end is better than the beginning. And it's worth all the mess in the middle if Jesus is your king. And in closing, I, I want to speak to two, two groups really briefly. The first one are, are those of you who came in here, um, and you know, I'm not sure the reason that you came in here today, and I'm thankful that, that you did, but I want to talk to those who came in here who didn't profess Jesus as Lord. That you've heard the gospel, and you've seen it, so to speak, but you haven't seen it. You have to reckon with the historical reality of the gospel. You have to reckon with the historical reality of the resurrection of Jesus. You have to do something with that. Think it through. Think it through. Give it your time. Give it your attention. And and I implore you to see everything is different because this Jesus did not stay dead A man got up out of the grave and was seen by over 400 people, fractured, split history in half. There's millions of people worshiping this once carpenter now. What do you do with that? And I ask you also to see that in him, in him we can have a new identity. We can have a new destiny. We are not bound to our broken families of origin. Curse can become blessing. In him you are adopted and loved. In him all the things you crave, all the seeking of of public attention, all the seeking of accolades, all your groaning in him. In him it finds its home. In him you are all right. And secondly, I just I want to talk to those of you who are apprentices of Jesus. And I know I know many of you, and I know you have tasted the brightness of new life. You are a different person than you once were. You are a sign of God's life to this world. You are an ambassador of life in what is aptly called a culture of death. We live in a culture of death that celebrates death, that consumes it, 
that eats it up. And you are a sign of life in a culture of death. You are agents of healing in a broken world. Your life has present and eternal purpose, significance, and is empowered by the Spirit. Jesus' garden tomb resurrection is the garden of Eden in reverse. And so, follower of Jesus, may you run. May you run to those who are still in the tears and the sorrow of Silent Saturday. May you run to those who do not see that the grave was open. May you run to your neighbor and your child or your friend who is tormented by anxiety, who is stuck in addiction, who is being swallowed by grief. May you run to them and may they see the brightness of your life that says, I have seen the Lord. He's risen. Friends, he is risen. Father, you are good. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your life, your death, your resurrection. And I pray right now in the presence of your spirit, even right now in this place, you are reshaping hearts for eternity. Fill us with your joy that we might sing with every ounce of our being the praises that you are worthy of. It is in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen.